Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Priya David Clemens. As a comedian and the Emmy-winning host of CNN's United Shades of America, W. Kamau Bell addresses the racial inequalities of American life with bracing and deft humor. Bell does not shy away from calling it like he sees it, and he's seen a lot. The show's new season debuts Sunday. And we'll talk with Bell about his thoughts on current events and what the call to defund the police really means right here in the Bay Area. Then at 9.40, we'll hear what communities in East Palo Alto are doing to adjust to the problem of sea level rise. That's next on Forum, right after this news. Hello and welcome to Forum. I'm Priya David Clemens. In the latest season of his show, United Shades of America, W. Kamau Bell argues that we need to, quote, dismantle, reconceive, and in some cases, defund the systems that target us and refund life, refund liberty, refund the pursuit of all this. With his sharp wit and keen observational skills, Bell offers an unflinching look at how race and racism touch our lives every day, through the dollars we spend to the leadership choices we make. The first episode of the new season debuts this Sunday with a deep dive on policing in Oakland, Vallejo, and San Francisco. W. Kamau Bell, welcome back to Forum. Thanks for having me. So this is the first time you and I are meeting. Uh, this is my first week on radio. and Congratulations. Uh, You're doing you. great. Thank you very much. Uh, every, everybody's talking about it. The streets are hot. That's We're right. Excited. There's the buzz out there. I appreciate that. You know, you keep that going. Um, how should I address you? There's the W. There's the Kamau. <laughs> is it Your Excellency, Bay Area Royalty, <laughs> Bell, Sir? What, you know, what do we have here? Uh, Kamau. I uh, think Kamau will work. All right. Yeah. All right. We, all we're right. friends now. We're friends now, so it's Kamau. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, all right. So, Kamau, where are you right now? I know you were out here for the first episode of your new season. 
Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm out here. I'm in I'm in Oakland where me and my family live and we'll probably live for the rest of our lives until New Zealand gives us citizenship. New Zealand has been amazing lately. I mean, they just <laughs> <laughs> I feel I feel yeah. you on that. <laughs> it's my it's like the Shawshank Redemption Sewatineo. New Zealand is my Sewatineo. <laughs> I love it. All right. Um, you are laughing. You are, you know, it seems like still managing to have a good time despite all of the crazy that has been going on for decades now. Um, but when I watched this first episode, you know, I got a sneak peek and I do think it's required viewing for anyone who lives in the Bay Area. But when I watched the first episode, it's not funny. haha. I mean, you're taking on some pretty serious topics here. Um, what what do you do with your sense of humor? How do you find that influences what you talk about in your shows? I mean, I, I think the best way to f- do that is not to think about it. I don't go into the show going, how will we make this funny? And I really encourage and order producers, do not try to think of ways to make this funny. That is my job. And the pressures, and I don't feel the pressure, the The funniness comes out organically in the conversations. And then, the, and then later when you look back at it, you figure out ways to sort of go, oh, we can really hit this point. Or we do a lot of things with graphics. It's something you do to put it together. But it's like, you know, humor is a survival mechanism. It's a biological imperative to be funny in stressful situations. So I don't think about it that way. I am a comedian by trade, but I was funny before that, before I took that job on. Well, you know, I, I looked back at your tweets over this past week, and when it's it comes, hilarious. It's, <laughs> <a lot> of- <laughs> that's there's not a lot of knock knock jokes in there, right? So, um, when I looked back at the Derek Chauvin trial, you you do make mention of it. You say Derek Chauvin guilty on all three counts, um, and then you say, "Let's do the entire system of policing in this country." Is is there humor here that we should be looking at? Is there hope here, um, or is it let's just move forward? I mean, you know, I think even with that, if you look through the like the whole tweets from the week, there are ones that are funny. There are ones that I'm funny and I'm also mad. There's ones that are just mad. You know, I don't feel any pressure to sort of like just be the the yuck yuck guy <laughs> in my life or on Twitter. So I do think that it is important in moments like that. And I know that I've started to accept the fact that people do. There is some audience for me who are like, what do you think about this happening in real time? I don't care about what you, the comedian, thinks. I care about what you, the person, thinks. Uh And so I appreciate that and then speak like that. But then I also am a guy who will send out a tweet that is just funny about something my kid said. So I want to be my full self, which is actually what this whole struggle in America is for black folks, indigenous folks, Latinx folks, the AAPI community. Can we be our full selves? Do we have to be a version of ourselves that the system of white supremacy imposes on us? What do you think? Are you getting to be your full self? I mean, I live in a very privileged position by the nature of the work that I do, how I'm paid for it. And, you know, I worked, quote unquote, hard to get here, but I wasn't I don't not owed any of these things. So when I look at myself like, yes, I get to be a much fuller version of myself than most black people in this country get to be. But that also puts the pressure on me to try to create that space for other black people to be the full version of themselves. Tell me about your thoughts on the Derek Chauvin verdict. You know, I'm a, I'm very old. Uh, people don't realize how old I am, but I'm very, very old. I lived in a <laughs> decade called the 90s. I was, <laughs> what, and, uh, what was that? I've heard of that. Yesteryear. <laughs> yeah, the 90s. Okay. Yeah. So I remember how, you know, there was these other – like when after Rodney King, even though the cops weren't found guilty, after the uprisings in mm-hmm. L.A., people were like, oh, things are going to change. Also, before that, when the videotape of Rodney King being beaten by those cops, things are going to change. 
the OJ trial was this weird time where people thought things are going to change. So, you know, there's all these things that happen where people go, oh, that's the moment. Oh, there was an election of a guy named Barack Hussein Obama. Oh, things are going to change. So I'm too old now to think that that means anything. I feel so happy for George Floyd's family that they got some measure of justice. But I also know that until we actually look at the entire system of policing, not as individual bad apples, but the whole orchard is rancid, we're not going to get any change. Do you think that's starting to happen? Do you see that change occurring, Uh, you know, in part, possibly even with the election of several very progressive DAs? I mean, these are all sort of like hopeful, you know, hopeful. These are little hopeful things that are happening. Like I look at, you know, thankfully I live in Barbara Lee territory. Yeah. Barbara Lee is the one for me. So I, there are people who are doing the good work. But you have to, again, we have to talk about the entire system of criminal justice and law enforcement in this country. And I think that in the same way that like a good police, a person can can enter the police force to be a good cop and can in many ways be a good cop. But if there are bad things happening around them and they're not standing up to them, or in the case of Carol Horn, who was a black woman who was a cop, I think in Buffalo, New York, who actually pulled a white cop off a black man who was choking him and then got fired for it, it doesn't do any good if the system stays in place. Well, you know, let's play a clip from the new season of your show, United Shades of America. Again, I'm going to just mention that it drops on Sunday, uh, May 2nd, and it is what I think should be required viewing for anyone who lives in the Bay Area. It is fantastic. Um, But let's listen to a a clip from that. And this is Oakland Police Chief Laron Armstrong before he became the police chief uh, talking about his experience. For me, it's just this moment of being a black man in a police uniform, mm-hmm. right? And, and there are some problems, some systemic problems that's been in policing for a very long time that you know need to be rooted out. And so you sit in this place where you're like, do I fit in, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you even ask the question, do I fit in? I'm a black man before I put on a uniform. Yeah. And I'm one when I take it off. It's, you know, I, I'm Anyone? not. But see, some people will see me as a, a person in blue that don't think that I identify with even those that are protesting. I think one of the most interesting things about the way in which you wove that first episode together is that you refuse to accept simplicity, that you say this is incredibly complex, this is incredibly layered. And this first episode, you don't interview um, Congresswoman Barbara Lee, but you do interview so many (laughs) black Bay Area powerhouses, Mayor London Breed, Latifah Simon, Oscar Grant's mother, academics, pastors, street artists, Otis Taylor Jr., the journalist who's coming to KQED. I mean, it's sort of amazing to see yeah, how many of these incredible icons you have managed to stuff into that one tearjerker of an episode. So can you tell us about this first show for those um, who will be seeing it on Sunday but uh, would like a preview? Yeah, so I mean, this when we knew we were going to have to do an episode about policing after the events of last summer with the protests and the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, and and we also knew we were shooting in a pandemic, so there was this effort to at the beginning of the season go, how can we shoot as safely as possible? And I was like, how about near my house? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So we sh- and so then it became like, well, obviously we could do an episode about policing in Oakland and the Bay Area. And it was very quickly like I have lived in the Bay Area mostly since 97. I took a sabbatical to New York for two years. So I know a lot of people who have hipped me to 
being smarter about policing and defund the police. And it becomes became my responsibility to get as many of those people in this episode as possible as a way to, one, pay tribute to the fact that they had those conversations with me off screen, and two, to show these people to the country and show these people to a broader audience. And let's talk about the, the main thrust of the show, which is the question of defunding the police and what that really means and what it looks like. What did you learn? You know, the the thing that I learned is that there are ways to go about this without that. That if you think about it in sort of like individual pieces of the police, people are very clear that there's a problem. That if someone's having a mental health episode and a cop shows up and shoots that person, that's not good. So people are very clear that like that's a problem. We need to fix that. If you can, if you go through it through, how do we solve this problem? Maybe we create a job for somebody who does that who's not a cop. People start to go, yeah, that makes sense. But the minute you say that's called defunding the police, people will run back to their <laughs> fainting couches. So, and I think the people like the anti-police terror project who operates out of Oakland under, is starting to understand that like maybe there's maybe we change the term, but because as we joke about in the episode, it is really funny that people get afraid of what is basically an accounting term. As I joke in the episode, Ice Cube was way more clear about what he wanted to do to the police than defund the police. But it is about talking about the individual parts of it. And so we talk about like the fact that uh, the Black Organizing Project got cops out of the Oakland public schools. Obviously, people understand, why would there be cops in the Oakland public schools? But what that is doing is defunding the cops out of the Oakland public schools. Was there anything that you learned while you were doing this? Was there anything new for you uh, that surprised you? And let's take this quickly. We'll go to a break and, and come back. I mean, I was surprised that there was that the Oakland Public School District had its own police force at one point, not Oakland cops, its own separate police force. So as a kid going to school every day, you are looking at police and you are already criminalized because there's police in your hallways. All right. We're talking with comedian W. Kamau Bell, my new friend Kamau, about his new season of his CNN show, United Shades of America, which debuts on Sunday, May 2nd. What are your questions for this Bay Area powerhouse? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter, of course, and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or you can email your questions to forum at KQED. KQED.org. And when we come back from the break, I promise you, I am going to ask W. Kamal Bell for at least one good knock-knock joke. See you on the other (laughs) side. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Priya David Clemens. We are talking with comedian and social activist W. Kamau Bell about his new season of his CNN show, United Shades of America. Kamau, we are going to go to the phone soon. Is there anything else you'd like to say about filming this season after the year that we have had in 2020? Yeah, I mean, it was the scariest season that we've ever shot because of COVID. Like, when we went out there, we started going out in late August. And, you know, people think I was scared with the Klan. It was way scarier to be out in the middle of a global pandemic trying to make a TV show. So uh, I'm glad we did it. I'm glad none of us got COVID, but it was really scary. Mm. All right, let's go to um, a caller now. Let's go to Steve in Sebastopol. Steve, you're on the air. Yeah. Hi, Kamal. I met you long ago. I'm a fan of your work. Um, the question I have is, have you, with the show, have you had a chance to look into really the variations, socioeconomic, et cetera, within the Asian community? I mean, I used to live in Sacramento. I had a Mian friend who said, wow, I didn't know Asian people go to college. And I was like, yeah, there's a lot of Asian Americans that go to college. Let's go look at that, college. That does not seem like the stereotype that I would have expected. Yeah, that's <laughs> Let not me a, just say. Having, having, right. having worked right. on Berkeley's campus, I wouldn't say that that's a stereotype I knew to be true. Yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, we, right. we so have you done... You into that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we did an episode about the Hmong community in Minneapolis and St. Paul a couple seasons ago. But, you know, we're always, you know, it's always about how you get in and what's the story. And certainly after what's gone on with the last year and the rise of hate crimes against Asian Americans, we, you know, we have another season that we're already signed up for. And we know we need to do something about that. So and when we do this, we're not just going to look into the hate crimes. We're going to look into the community, a community as a whole. So I'm, I'm imagining we will have I'm, no, I'm going to say this. I, de- I, I promise you we have an episode in the upcoming season about the, that in some way covers the Asian American community, which is a broad and vast community. So we obviously won't get it all in. Uh, Steve, thanks for your call. And Kamau, could you tell me a little bit, and all of us, about what else is in this first season? Because we've talked a lot about the first episode, but I've noticed that you cover a lot of different topics. It's not just about race and racism, it seems. No, I mean, you know, I live in the Bay Area, so <laughs> if it's just about race and racism, I'm missing a lot. So we, ha- but you know, it's always in there because I'm always a black man, whatever episode we do. So we have an episode about protesting in Portland. We went to Portland when, you know, streets are still hot in Portland, but we went to Portland and covered protesting. We had an episode in Dallas, Texas about the black transgender community in Dallas, Texas. Uh, we have an episode about the, the majority minority America that we shot in Philadelphia because a lot of people believe that when America is majority minority, suddenly peace will reign all over the land and you can only look in Philadelphia to find out that's not what happens necessarily. Uh, We have an episode about uh, economic inequality and wealth disparity that we shot in Charleston in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, And we have an episode about uh, veterans of the military in San Diego, California. Thanks for that overview. We are talking with comedian W. Kamau Bell about his new season of his CNN show, United Shades of America, which debuts this Sunday, May 2nd. I'm Priya David Clemens. You're listening to Forum. Feel free to contact us with your questions for W. Kamau Bell. We have another caller now, Philip from San Mateo. Oh, there. Hi, Philip. So the what what people are trying to do is pass laws and all that kind of stuff to try to force the police to act a certain way. And I think there's another way, a better way to do it. And that is to take something away from them that they highly prize. The two things they highly prize are one, their retirement plan, and secondly, their gun. So any, any policeman that kills somebody automatically, whether it's justified or not, 
they lose their gun for one year. Okay, they become a police officer without a gun as they do the test job, a desk job or whatever. And also, instead of being able to retire in 20 years, they fall into the to the category where they retire in 40 years. So for that one year, they're in the 40-year retirement plan. They are going to hate that. And they, are go- they the policemen, are going to figure out a way to stop people without killing them because they don't want to lose those two things. So there's some creative suggestions there from Philip. Thank you so much for calling in and sharing those ideas. Uh, Kamau, you're not a policymaker, but you're certainly steeped <laughs> in these concepts. What do you think of these ideas? You I know, mean, no one, gun, no retirement. I mean, I think I think we should all be brainstorming ways to put to to it's ways for police to kill less people and to treat people more equitably. I think the issue that we, you run into with both those ideas is police unions, which is what we talk about in the episode. The police unions are so powerful that you can't really do anything to police because the unions have so much power that they won't let it happen and so that's what that's why it's about dismantling the system because right now uh you know the police unions can actually tell the mayor to go jump in a lake you know like they don't really have to do anything the mayor says and so and i'm not talking about london breed specifically i'm just talking about mayors in general so i think that like we have to understand that the, the whole system is the problem. And until we, we make the system more equitable and the way we even look for people to pee police and train them, we're going to be in this position. But, yeah, I'm all for brainstorm. No bad ideas in a brainstorm. Philip, thank you for your call. We appreciate it. What do you think, Kamau, people should be doing? There's certainly more black leaders who are being elected, more black police chiefs than there have been before, more protesting. What else needs to happen to get to that point where you'd say, okay, you know, I do that you're that you're willing to like stand there and say, yes, I see change and I believe that things are getting better in America. Because it sounds like you're not quite there yet. Oh no, I know too much, Priya. I know too much. Uh, yeah. I th- I, like I said, it's really we have to start sort of we have to stop nibbling around the edges. I was a person who would have believed in reform maybe ten years ago, but we have to stop thinking that it's about electing the right person because again, that person is in a system that was built on white supremacy. And until we dismantle the school system, mass incarceration, the law law enforcement, until we you know, until we until people who live in black neighborhoods have access to the same services and things they need as people in white neighborhoods that have more money, we're really just sort of nibbling around the edges. And so I think that until we have that holistic approach to this, I you know, I think that really the last four years of this of this country with Trump has really changed America dramatically. And no matter who's in office after this, it is going to take systemic change or else we're just sort of still going to be going in that same direction. But but what does that systemic change look like uh, if, if it's not incremental? It's, this is a funny thing because I, you know, I wanted to be a comedian when I was a kid and yet I sit and have to answer these questions. So. <laughs> that, that knock-knock joke is still coming up, so don't think you've gotten out I, of that. I got, I got one on deck. I got one all on right, deck all right. so you need it. So, um, uh, all right, everybody, so yeah, stick think, around for that. Yeah. That. yeah. <laughs> But I do. I think it's we don't. And I talked to Cat Brooks, who's who works with the Anti Police Terror Project, ran for mayor of Oakland last time. I uh, hope she runs again. And she said we can't even envision it until we start working on it. So, for example, people are like, well, what happens if we defund the police? I don't know. Let's start to do it and see how it goes because this system isn't working. So, I think what it looks like overall is that if you compl- if you change the system, for example, and I, t- I talk about the South Side of Chicago where I grew up. If you walk outside of your house in the South Side of Chicago, you may look for blocks and blocks and not see a chain grocery store, a hospital, 
local businesses that will hire you. The streets are all have potholes. So you're literally looking out on a lack of opportunity and a lack of help. And the city is telling you what he thinks about you. And therefore, you go, you go, well, what do I do here? And then crime becomes something that you might fall into because there's, there's not a lot of other choices. Until we understand that the roots of crime and the roots is often poverty and lack of opportunity and not because black people just like to crime a lot, we're going to be in the same position. We have a comment that's just come in. You're going you're to love this. Uh, oh, yes, my, yes. Michael writes, for every tragic George Floyd or Trayvon Martin, there is some knucklehead who defied the cops. Why? Even I got the talk from my dad telling me at 13 that the cops would soon see me as a threat and that my duty was to put them at ease and obey their lawful commands. I'm going to leave it there and let you comment. Oh, great. Uh, so I think the problem is, is that you can't you can't good behave your way out of being killed by a police officer, which we've seen that time and time again, too. Uh, Tamir Rice in Cleveland was just walking down the street holding a toy gun and was shot before he even knew it happened. Uh, there's all uh, John Crawford was another black man who was standing in a Walmart holding a gun he had picked up off the shelf of that Walmart on the cell on his cell phone with his girlfriend and was shot in the back of his head before he knew it happened or shot. I don't know if he shot in his head, but he was shot and killed before he knew it happened. There's all sorts of evidence of black people. For example, Philando Castile in the car saying, hey, I got a gun. I got a I got a war. I got a, a license for it. And he was shot and killed by a cop. So you cannot good behavior way out of being killed by police officers. So therefore, that puts a lot of people on edge when they deal with cops. And when you're on edge, you don't always handle things the best. We've got a caller, Thomas, who's calling in from Sacramento now. Uh, Thomas, you're on the line. Could you ask your question, please? <clears throat> yes, yes. I'm hoping that you guys, uh, you can do a deep dive investigation. And I mean deep. Don't get turned <laughs> off when somebody starts yelling at you. Into training. Because there's been an incredibly little amount of investigation and exposure out of the, into the training, and they always say it's the training. Then, so, well, let's look at that. I mean, you know, who trained, um, you know, Chauvin to put his knee on the neck? I mean, his, uh, his fellow law enforcement said that uh, they did not train him to do that. So, and so that, that, I think, is, would be real key in, in this battle. Um, Thomas, thank you. Let me let Kamal respond to that. It sounds like you might have another question, but let's start there. Yeah, I think that, I mean, obviously, the way in which we put police on the streets, a lot of people, I've heard a lot of military veterans talk about how, how they sort of go, police get like six weeks of training. Do you know how much more training you get to be in the military than you get to be a police officer walking around every day? So I think that it's about training, but it's about even what the job and role of a police should be. Uh, in Oakland, I think about 50% of the, of the municipal budget goes to policing, and only 4, 4 to 5% of calls to the police are for violent crimes. So clearly, we are tasking police with too much and giving them too much money to do jobs that are not on their plate. I mean, if we only give police, if we only give the police we have jobs to respond to violent crimes, then all that money should go somewhere else to deal with, to go to people who can deal with all the other problems that, that, in, that we think are police's, under police's jobs. And Thomas, I'm going to let you police. get in one more question quickly before okay. we go to the next. My second point is we have to rename defunding the police and <laughs> police relief. It's police relief. And it is police relief. You're relieving them of all the stuff that they shouldn't be doing, you know, of, of all these, uh, you know, uh, calls that they're responding to that they shouldn't be responding to them. 
So it really is police relief. And you right? know, Thomas, you're not the only one who has that thought. I'm going to go to a call from BC. Oh, do we still have her on or him on the line? Uh, who was talking about? Do we reframe the conversation? And what is what does that mean to not say defund the police? It's a point you touch on, Kamau, in your documentary. Yeah, I think the thing we have to realize is that since the, <laughs> and I've said this a lot recently, since the first uh, ship landed and unloaded uh, confused Africans who were then told what their job was now they were in America and how hmm. they weren't going to be paid for it and how they weren't treated well, black people have been, hey, could you be nicer to us? And there's been a whole system of ways in which we've tried to brainstorm and strategize ways to get the white power system to be nicer to us. Martin Luther King Jr. famously had a way. Malcolm X had a way. So what you're responding to is the fact that we are still trying to figure out a way to get the white power structure, the system of white supremacy, to treat us like citizens of this country who have earned, who deserve our rights. And yet, every time we figure out a new way, you go, that's not the right way. Mm. Could you ask a different way? Mm -hmm. And so you have to understand that, like, we'll come up with a different way, but it's not going to get more polite. It's going to get it's not going to get more friendly. We've tried. Martin Luther King advocated hugs and was assassinated. Hmm. Um, Sharon writes in and she, again, is asking about sort of broadening, broadening the conversation here and wants to know, did you also address the problem of the enormous power of sheriffs who run the county jails, use military force in their operations and are the coroners? Uh, So when there is a death in a jail, they investigate themselves. Sheriffs are elected officials, but who knows the name of their sheriff? Do you? And that's why they almost always run unopposed. Have you uh, looked into sheriffs and do you have any plans? Uh, I mean, first of all, we if the the show is, you know, we're we're six seasons in, so we will get everywhere eventually if CNN keeps us on the air. But no, we didn't. I mean, that's the problem with the show is that we we are really taking on huge issues and we can't get into every corner of every issue. And so every episode, we leave a lot that we the, the, even stuff we film that we can't fit into the generally 42 minutes of an episode or things that we just didn't cover because otherwise it would be too sprawling or CNN. We can't turn in a three hour episode on policing to CNN. <laughs> we, we've tried to do things like that. They don't go for that. So <laughs> I would say we will get back to those th- two other issues that we miss the longer we're on the air. All right. Well, and no, I don't know the name of my sheriff, just to be clear. Uh, Julie Roberts. I'm Googling, it right, I'm Googling it right now. You know, knowledge is power. Knowledge. Power. Julie Roberts uh, writes in with a technical question. I'm a big fan, but a big fan without cable who is not terribly tech savvy and who's cheap. I can't seem to watch United Shades without cable. Is there a way I can watch online? Would I have to subscribe to something to get it? First of all, did you say Julia Roberts? Is that what you said? I, I heard said she moved to San Julie Francisco. Roberts. But, oh, okay. You know, okay. Yeah. I mean, great. I got a little excited. I knew she moved to San Francisco. Uh, <laughs> my wife would be very excited. But, uh, you know, it's. I always say, go to your parents' house. They have CNN. <laughs> so, like, I, you know, it's. It is CNN. I believe is working on a streaming service. That's what I hear. The whispers are. I hope I, I hope I didn't ruin anything. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think the only way you get it is you can get old seasons on HBO Max. But they, the new seasons don't go up until after the season's over. Uh, but yeah, Hulu Live I think does it. If you get or YouTube Live, if you get YouTube Live or YouTube TV, you can get uh, United Shades on CNN there. All right, let's turn the conversation a bit back to comedians. So the writes in saying, Mr. Bell has a podcast stating Denzel Washington is the greatest actor. Finally, we talk about the important things. That's right. Can Mr. Bell share his preferences for five greatest comedians who ever lived and why? Let me give you like a minute to do this because we got to get to your joke and get to the break. All right. So wait, my five greatest comedians? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, this is off the top of my head. So some of these are famous, some of these not. Uh, Chris Rock, 
Dave Chappelle, Bill Hicks, Dwayne Kennedy, Robert Hawkins, who was a Bay Area comic back in the day. You know, I'm so going to call up your buddy Kevin Hart. That's so happy. (laughs) Well, good. (laughs) Tell him to call me since I've never talked to him in life. Um, my name is Priya David Clemens. You are listening to the 9 a.m. Hour of Forum. We are talking with comedian W. Kamau Bell about his new season of his CNN show, United Shades of America, which debuts on Sunday, May 2nd. Kamau, would you please give us that knock-knock joke? Uh, so, Priya, what's my name? Your name, well, W. Kamau Bell. Uh, will you remember my name in a year? I will. Will you remember my name in two years? I will. Knock-knock. Who's there? <laughs> you said you'd remember my name. That's, That's a, a good Juno one. Bell classic. That's, That's a Juno one, Bell classic. That is one that uh, I can use with my kids, too. I appreciate it. Very, very radio friendly. Yes. Um, I, I, I play to all audiences. I do have to get to one more comment that just came in from Amy, which um, does... You know, it touches my heart, and I know it'll touch yours. Amy writes, I'm a white person who feels enraged about how black people are treated in this country. I wonder how you deal with the rage as a black person. Uh, well, my doctor has increased my high blood pre- pressure medication, hmm. um, <laughs> which I was kidding. Yeah. Uh, I've gained weight over the course of this pandemic for lots of reasons. Mm-hmm. One of those is just, like, I think depression. And I think that so recently I've had to really like shake myself out of my own doldrums and go, okay, this, I can't let racism, I can't let racism kill me from the inside. And so I think one thing we have to do is really get active in how we, how we are in the outside world, making sure that we're actually working to make and create an anti-racist society and also making sure we're taking care of ourselves. I think that's a real thing too, is making sure that you're not taking so much of this in that you're actually, that it's actually affecting your own mental health. I'm in therapy once a week, even tele- Zoom therapy through the pandemic. I think it's really important to take care of your mental health. And also, still, year over year, make sure that you're actually creating a more anti-racist society and increase the goals that you had the previous year to make sure you're actually doubling down and really pushing. Kamal, thank you for that advice. I will you know, try to get in some yeah. Time to take a walk and, and stretch a, a little later today myself. So thank you for that reminder. Um, we have been talking with comedian W. Kamau Bell about his new season of his CNN show, United Shades of America, debuting on CNN on Sunday, May 2nd, which I think should be required viewing for everyone in the Bay Area. It is excellent. Go watch it. Support W. Kamau Bell. Join him on Twitter. Uh, you will learn a lot and be amused along the way. When we come back from the break, Kamau, thank you. Let me say that first. Thank, thank, you. thank you. Thank you. And the sheriff is Ahern. My, Kate, my friend Kate Schott's in it. The sheriff is Ahern. You got it in. Thank you. <laughs> yes. um, okay. So when we come back from the break, we're going to be talking about East Palo Alto and rising sea levels. What people there are doing to protect themselves for the future and lessons for us all. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.